The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. When many little girls dream of being a princess, if not a warrior one, then many girls dream of the golden girl who rules the land with kindness. For some, maybe they're waiting for that perfect prince to come and sweep them away, or they imagine the beautiful gowns and jewels they wear. But dreams in this life, as you well know, are interrupted. Sheila Walsh shares her personal struggle with the storm inside, next on Life Today. Hello, I'm Sheila Walsh. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. Just some time ago, I wrote a book called The Storm Inside, and it was based on something that I learned as a little girl growing up in Scotland. My grandmother told me that after there would be a, a real big storm at sea, she said it's worth walking along the shoreline because sometimes things that have been buried in the sand for a long time, when there's a storm, what's buried is tossed up onto the shoreline. And so I would walk along with her and we'd discover all sorts of things. Once I even found a diamond engagement ring. Sometimes the sea would give up its treasure when there was a storm. But, you know, I've discovered the same is true in life. When we go through storms, unpredictable seasons in life, things that have been buried for a long, long time deep inside can get tossed up onto the shoreline of our hearts. Let me show you a little bit of what I mean. Several years ago, an F5 tornado moved through this area just outside of Austin, Texas. In a matter of moments, an entire community was gone. Those who record the intensity of these kind of events said that this was one of the most devastating they had ever seen. Life can be like that. You can be having a completely normal day, beautiful blue sky, and suddenly a storm moves in with no warning, no one asks your permission, and your life is devastated. I want to tell you a little of a story of a friend of mine. Her name is Davina, and I tell this with her permission. She wasn't very keen on her name. It was her dad's mother's name, and apparently she was quite a piece of work. But Davina never spoke up for herself after the age of five. At five, her dad tried to kill her, and Davina fought back. Well, she survived, and he didn't. And it was a decision she regretted for the rest of her life. She felt that she owed it to the rest of her family to keep things in order, in control. She grew up. She gave her life to Christ. And one of the things that impacted her most was the fact that she now had a second chance with a father, a heavenly father. And she determined whatever she did to make her first father hate her, she would never, ever make that mistake again. Years went on 
And to other people, it looked like she had her life together. But inside, she looked exactly like this devastated, broken home. And one day, it all fell apart. She sat in front of a doctor who asked her questions that she had no idea how to answer. He held a chart up with emotions, guilt, shame, loneliness, fear, and asked her, Davina, which ones of these are you feeling right now? She said, I'm not feeling anything right now. But he kept going. He kept pressing her. Apparently no one had warned him about her. And then when she had had enough, she picked up her chair and she threw it across the room and she said to him, there you go, will that do? He gave her the kindest smile she'd ever seen. And he said, yes, now we can get to work. The following morning, she stood in front of a group of other patients and said, hi, my name is Sheila Davina Walsh and I don't know why I'm here. That was the beginning for me of a new life out of the worst storm of my life. One of the things that we're gonna do together over the next few weeks is we're gonna look at the lives of several significant women in scripture who faced devastating storms, things they never saw coming. But what made the difference for them was God. I do not know what you are facing right now what kind of storm is on your horizon. But the one thing I want to say, just as we get started is this, whatever storm you are facing right now, God is bigger than your storm. I believe that with all my heart. You may know that I live with my husband, our son, and three dogs in Texas, but yes, you figured out by now that I didn't start there. As I mentioned earlier, I was born on the west coast of Scotland. And Scotland is a land of castles. We have more than 3,000 of them, the oldest dating back to the 11th and 12th centuries. When you stand inside one of these magnificent buildings, you can almost you can feel the history, hear the voices and sense the Celtic music seeping out of the ancient stones all around you. Disney castles did not come from Scottish molds. We build our castles for war and to defend our people against our enemies, not for fairy tales or for little girls in Cinderella pajamas. Although some castles were built over the sites of previous churches, in general, medieval Scots built their castles with military purposes in mind. And because of that, you'll find them in some of the most stunningly breathtaking locations imaginable. There's one perched on the very edge of a cliff with the ocean pounding the rocks far below. Another is on an island at the meeting point of three deep lochs, which is Scottish for lakes. There are two or three on craggy, snow-covered mountainsides. Wise architects and experienced builders carefully and strategically chose their locations. The fact that so many castles still stand today bears witness to the skill of the master craftsmen who built them. Not all of our castles are in glorious repair today, of course. Far from it. Some ruins are little more than a craggy skeleton of their former glory. And it was in one of these that I, as a young girl, installed myself as queen and claimed my own personal throne. It's called Loch Doon Castle, and it lies just a few miles from where most of my family still lives. 
And in the summertime, we often went there for picnics with friends. We'd spread out our blankets on the grass and unpack our picnic baskets at the edge of the loch, outside the ruined walls of this ancient fortress, enjoying the glorious scenery and the sun reflecting off the water. Well, once everyone else got settled in, I disappeared. Those, I guess, were more trusting days when you could actually allow your children to wander. The castle held a secret that no one else seemed to have discovered apart from me. As a fairly agile child, I could step inside the large stone fireplace of the one remaining tower and then, resting my back on one, well, on one wall and my feet on the other, I could slowly climb to the top of the chimney and then crawl out onto the highest remaining point on the castle walls. I sat there at the top of my domain, the voices of my family faint in the distance. And on a really clear day, I could see for miles across the water. I became a different person up there. Gone was the girl whose father had died in a shameful way that no one wanted to talk about. I was no longer the girl with hand-me-down clothes and one pair of good shoes. Up there, I was a Scottish warrior princess who would gladly lay down her life for her people. Up there, anything was possible. I would slay dragons, and when something fearsome threatened to storm the castle, I would fell it with one mighty blow. Then, uh, inevitably, I'd hear my sister's voice shouting from down at the bottom of the chimney, Sheila, it's time to go home. If mom sees you up there, you'll be in big trouble. So I climbed back down and unwillingly re-entered a world with far less glory. A world where shame in all its wretchedness, wretchedness seemed to rule the land. When many little girls dream of being a princess, if not a warrior one, then many girls dream of the golden girl who rules the land with kindness. For some, maybe they're waiting for that perfect prince to come and sweep them away, or they imagine the beautiful gowns and jewels they wear. But dreams in this life, as you well know, are interrupted. There are so many ways that shame disrupts our dreams, turning everything that was bright and beautiful into things that are dirty and things that are broken. For example, when someone sexually violates a young girl, dreaming stops. When the handsome prince uses you and moves on to the next conquest, then that beautiful dress you were wearing turns back into rags in a heartbeat. When tender words turn into rage, the mirror cracks from side to side, and the way we see ourselves, that's changed forever. When someone that you love tells you you're not worth anything at all, wow. It's as Edward Welch describes, shame is life dominating and stubborn. Once entrenched in your heart and mind, it's a squatter that refuses to leave. I think that is a powerful word picture, a squatter that refuses to leave. Shame is far more subtle and penetrating than guilt. It's much more personal. Guilt tells us we've done something wrong. But shame? Shame tells us we are something wrong. Think of it this way. If you're accused of a crime that you didn't commit and dragged through the shaming process of being arrested, strip searched, fingerprinted, incarcerated, and humiliated in a multitude of ways, then you get your day in court and you finally hear the words you've longed to hear, not guilty. Well, the guilt's been removed. Your clothes and possessions are returned to you and you walk into the daylight as a free woman, a free man. 
but the shame lingers. Guilt may or may not be a fact, but shame, shame feels like an essence. It's not what you did. It's far bigger than that. It's who you feel you are at your very core. So where do we take that shame? Who can address that life-draining weight at the center of who we are? There is only one, Jesus Christ, the one who became shame for us so that we could know the Father's love. This is the only way. This is what scripture says. There's a beautiful story in John's gospel of a woman deeply familiar with shame, but her unexpected encounter with Christ changed everything. In John chapter four, beginning at verse four, we read this. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. There's really nothing about these few verses that would strike you and I as strange. Jesus had left Judea for Galilee, and by the time he arrives in Samaria, it's noon. It's hot. He's tired and thirsty, so he sits down at the edge of the well. Do you know you can still draw water from this ancient well today? But it's very deep, and Jesus had nothing to lower into the well and get a drink. So when a woman came who was able to do that, he asked her for something to drink. Now, if that had happened to you or I today, we'd think nothing of it. But in Christ's time, at that place, with that woman, it's unheard of. Why? Well, for one thing, the Jews and Samaritans despised each other. That hatred has a very long history. If you want to read more for yourself, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 24 to 41. will give you the kind of genesis of that. But the issues were basically twofold. First, the Samaritans had intermarried with foreigners, clearly forbidden by God's law. And secondly, the Samaritans incorporated false gods into their worship of Jehovah. What made them even more despised to the Jews was that because the Samaritans had a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of law and ritual from the law of Moses and various superstitions from other religions. So most Jews in Jesus' time despised the Samaritans even more than the Gentiles because rather than knowing nothing of the faith, what they'd done was far worse. They had corrupted it. So the bottom line for any devout Jew was that in blood and in faith, Samaritans were regarded as mongrel Jews. Wow, what a term. As John begins to tell the story, he writes that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. This is very significant. That's not the road any Jew would have chosen to take. The common way would be to head northwest to Jericho, cross over the River Jordan, and never set foot on Samaritan soil at all. Geographically, as well as historically speaking, the Jews avoided Samaritans. But the had to here translates as necessity, as divine guidance being led by the Holy Spirit. This was a mission from God to change the life of one lonely, shame-filled Samaritan woman. And so Jesus asked her, give me a drink. She must have been shocked. 
It was a social taboo for any man to speak to such a woman in such a public place, never mind a Samaritan woman. The setting tells us even more. It's noon, and this woman had come to the well alone, which gives us a glimpse into her life. Women of the village would generally come to the well together in the morning while the day was still cool. This woman avoided the other women and came alone in the heat of the day. Even among her own people, this woman was an outcast. You see, her story was, you might remember from, from John's gospel that she had been married five times. She's now living with a guy, it's not even her husband. And at one point in the conversation, Jesus tells her something, he, he asks her, would you go and get your husband? What's she supposed to do? She's supposed to say, well, actually I've been married five times and the guy I'm living with now wouldn't even marry me, he would just give me a roof over my head. So she says, she tells him part of her story. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know that. You've been married five times and the man you're now living with, he's not even your husband. Now, why would Jesus do that? Was he trying to shame her? No. See, here's the deal. Unless we get it that God knows the worst there is to know about us, we'll never receive the good news that he loves all of us. Jesus was trying to say to her, listen, I know it all. I know your story. I know your brokenness. And then he goes on to say to her, the time is coming. In fact, it's right here, right now. And those who will worship will worship in spirit and in truth. And you know, in Greek, that word truth, do you know what it means? It means with nothing hidden. That's true worship, friends. We worship in spirit but we also worship in truth. We tell the truth to Jesus about who we really are. That's how Christ invades our shame. Because he, scripture tells us, he who knew no shame became shame so that you and I could be free. It was a life-changing experience for that woman. The one who'd been ashamed and came up by herself at noon, dropped her bucket, ran back to the village to tell everybody, come and see the guy who told me everything I've ever done. She became the first missionary to her village. The disciples came back with sandwiches. She came back with people. It's quite amazing. It's amazing what the love of God will spur you to do. Maybe you want to be part of that. Would you take a look at this? Tears, we have all shed them, but for millions of people around the world, they're a daily reminder of hardship, pain, and loss. Sometimes the tears won't flow simply because of emotional exhaustion. Other times they won't stop because the pain is overwhelming. It's especially true for those who have lost a child or loved one simply because they had no access to clean drinking water. In Madagascar, this man, Fernando, lost his wife, two children, and a brother, all to waterborne disease. And now he must watch his surviving niece drink from the same source of contaminated water. And I just pray, Lord, that you would comfort him right now. And Lord, just having to tell the story again is just so sad. 
but I ask you to bless him for sharing it with us so that we can help so many people. Yes, there is a way to stop tears of heartache like these before they ever fall. Through Mission Water for Life, we can restore hope to those in need around the world. And by our giving, we can comfort the brokenhearted and replace their tears with joy. You know, even as I was watching that piece, I found myself thinking about there's some of you out there, and the minute you saw those tears, it connected with something really deeply in you because you've cried more than your share of tears. And you're thinking, you know what? I'd love to help some other people, but I wish somebody knew the depth of the sorrow that I have in my own life. Can I remind you of something? Psalm 56 verse eight says this, and David is talking about the Lord. He said, you keep track of all my sorrows you have collected all my tears in your bottle. God misses nothing. No tear that you have ever wept has fallen unnoticed to the floor. God captures everyone. He alone knows the weight. So I want you to know, even before I invite you to help others who are weeping perhaps for different reasons, I want you to know God sees your pain and he cares for you. But even as I watch that, no father should have to go to bed at night sobbing himself to sleep because the pillow beside him where his wife once lay and the little pallets where his children lay are empty simply because the only water available to them was contaminated. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's the glorious thing that you and I can change this for the people right now who are on their knees in tears asking God for help. And here's how we can do it. $48 will give 10 people clean water. I mean, $48 these days, it goes like that. You know, you can hardly fill up your, your car with gas for that. $144 will give clean water for 30 people. And some of you might be able to actually put a well in. $4,800 will put a well in that will last for 70 years and provide 1,000 people with clean fresh water. The contrast between that sweet man and those children with tears literally running down their faces and the look of absolute unadulterated joy when finally water springs up and there's life. That's why we call it water for life because it literally is life and death and you and I can do something about it right now. Would you go to your phone? Would you call, would you just make the gift, the best gift possible? We don't ask you to do what you can't do, but when you do what you can do, and I do what I can do, and we join hands all around this, this nation in the different countries where this program airs, we can, we can be the answer to people who are desperate for help. We get the opportunity to give them life, but then like that Samaritan woman at the well, they meet the one who is life. He said, if you drink from water, you'll get thirsty again. If you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Let's do something now in Jesus' name. Every day, children living in extreme poverty are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink polluted water filled with deadly disease or perhaps die of thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. 
The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most proven and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can't end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, you can help drill 400 water wells in remote villages in 15 nations. A gift of $48 will provide disease-free water for 10 people, $72 will provide for 15 people, and $144 will help provide clean water straight from the ground for 30 people. Please also consider an additional gift of $100 to help provide three families with water filtration kits in emergency areas where our drilling rigs are unable to reach. As our thank you, we'll send you the books Words of Jesus and Words of Healing. One contains only the words of Jesus and the other scriptures for healing in your body, mind, and soul. With your $100 gift, you can receive both hardbound and softbound editions of these scripture promise books. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request our beautiful hand-sculpted Determined Eagle Bronze. Please call, write, or make your gift online. We're here in Burundi, Africa, up in the mountains where they cannot get drill rigs to come up here to drill wells. And this scenario happens around the world, not just here. And we've discovered that these people up here have pathetic water sources. This is water that mothers are bringing home to their children only to get worms, other waterborne diseases, cholera, extreme diarrhea, and then to hear stories of death. And life has been given an opportunity to bring these water filtration systems into the mountains so that when mothers bring water home to their children, they're no longer bringing water that's killing their child. They can create water that brings life to their child. <laughs> I think you see the joy in their faces. It's gonna bring so much joy to these homes that can provide clean water for their families. Again, we thank you so much for all the generous giving. It really is making a difference. God bless you. Thank you so much. I mean, what a privilege it is that we get to do this. Um, and if you'd like to send a gift in today, we'll be happy to send you the Storm Inside um, DVD Bible study series. But more than any of that, what a privilege you and I have. It's so easy just to go to the faucet in our kitchen and pour ourselves a glass of water. And the fact that you and I can reach people on this earth that we might never meet face to face until we're in heaven and have them say, you know what? Because you cared in Jesus' name, my family was able to live a life and get to know Christ. So thanks for being with us. I'm Sheila Walsh. I'll see you next time on Wednesdays in the Word. God bless.
Ambassadors for Life are people like you who see need in the world and want to do something about it. Contact us to start a fundraiser today and change someone's future. Tomorrow on Life Today, join founding pastor of Covenant Church, Mike Hayes, as he works to influence the influencers in bringing about national renewal. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.